or far from home is for the better. What we dream, it's all that matters. We're on our way, united. Turn the crowd up now, we'll never back down. Shoot down a skyline, watch it on prime time. Turn up the love now, listen up now. Turn up the love. Who's gonna say? Chapter 22 At least Cassie and I provided Marco with material. It took him precisely three seconds after I parted from Cassie, embarrassed and amazed. He held out his arms to me and said, What? No kiss for me? I would not have believed I could feel like a dork in the middle of all the other feelings I was dealing with, and in the middle of an abject disaster of a battle. But... I guess embarrassment and awkwardness are always with us. No, Marco said, looking puzzled. I guess I'll have to turn to Rachel. He went for her, arms out, lips puckered. Gee, Marco, what do you think the odds are I'll kiss you? Slim? None? Or I'll break both your arms? I looked around at our latest home. It was a large open space, maybe three stories high about the size of a basketball court. Crammed into that gloomy cube were an amazing array of machines. Some like giant jackhammers, some like steel octopi, others, weirdly, like merry-go-rounds, with elaborate, sharp-edged tools instead of brightly colored horses. Nothing was working. There was dust everywhere. Abandoned factory? I asked Guide. Not abandoned! The worker guild refuses to come back to work here until the superstition and magic guild certifies that the place is free of the spirits of fictional characters. I sighed. I hesitated. I shot a look at Marco. Oh, you'll want to hear this, he said. What are the spirits of fictional characters? Guide whined in what I took to be a humorous way. These simple folk believe that fictional characters are at least partly real, and thus have spirits who wander the city, infesting buildings and engaging in various destructive behaviors. Fictional characters, I said. Okay. Soon? Naturally, the Superstition and Magic Guild must be called upon to control this problem. But the Worker Guild cannot agree on a fair price, so... Makes perfect sense, I said. In a loony bin, Rachel said. We all fell silent for a while. The rush of being reunited was wearing off. We were remembering reality. Jake says it's seven to six now, Tobias said. 
Swell, Marco muttered. Make it seven to two, and I'd still bet on them. There was muttered agreement. I have a new morph, I said. Yeah? Tobias asked. Yeah. On the way... On the way down, I acquired the howler. It's not enough, but it may give us an edge. If we have an overall plan. Do you have a plan? Eric asked. I considered. Did I? I had bits and pieces. Guesses. Speculation. Intuitions. I shrugged. Yeah, I guess I do. Marco grinned. Kiss him again, Cassie. It seems to help. They all waited expectantly. I bowed my head and tried to bring together all that I had learned about the Howlers. I felt like I had a bunch of jigsaw pieces and no picture to work from. Okay, jump in if you have anything to add. I could be totally wrong. One, the Howlers must have some kind of collective memory. The memories Eric absorbed were of events going back thousands of years and covering dozens of invasions. No biological creature lives that long. And we know the Howlers are biological, because I acquired one. So, somehow, the Howlers are designed to share a single memory. What these seven Howlers, six, learn here will be conveyed to all the rest of the species. That way, all battle experience is available to all warriors. Rachel nodded. No wonder they never lose. Yeah, but that brings up something else. See, no one wins all the time. Not for thousands of years. It's not possible. Muhammad Ali lost. Michael Jordan lost. No one wins every time. But the Howler memories I absorbed show no memory of defeat, Eric pointed out. Yeah, exactly, I said. Exactly. Guide? Yes? When you view memories, I mean, in the normal way, not like Eric did for us, turning it into a hologram, how is it done? Guide emitted a low diaphragm whine and said, There is a small device that attaches to the head. It ties in directly to brainwaves and plays the memories as if you yourself were recalling them. And these memory headsets work on all species? We are visited by many species, Guide said. The headsets have always worked, although not all species choose to indulge. I'm guessing the Howlers don't indulge, Cassie said. Guide spread his hands and increased the grating noise from his diaphragm. We have only ever seen this one group of howlers. They sold their memories to pay for what they needed here, but they did not choose to buy any other memories. I nodded. Good. Good. Okay. Now we need a volunteer for an extremely dangerous mission. We're going to need a rabbit to draw the hounds to us. I shot a look at Rachel and slowly shook my head no. Her mouth was already open to volunteer. She closed it and looked puzzled. I will take on this mission, Ox said from across the room. Rachel made a little half-smile and nodded imperceptibly. Swell, Marco said impatiently. 
So Axe is going to get himself killed, and we all agree that Howlers don't like to buy memories to watch on their VCRs. How does any of this let us take out these six Howlers? We don't need to take out the six Howlers, I said. Kroyak does. Chapter 23 The place we were in was all wrong for the trap. We needed escort around us. We had to make the rules of engagement work for us. I explained it to Guide. He wanted to get paid more. We were running up a big bill, and we might well get killed before we could sell him our valuable memories. Don't worry, I said. That's the next thing we do. Make a complete copy of our memories. I still feel I should be able to harvest an arm at the least. Perhaps some minor internal organ? No more hair? I have the hair, he said. The point is to possess what is absolutely unique. No one has a human body part or organ. Yeah, and it's gonna stay that way. I said. You can have Marco's hair. Say what? A stock eye from the Andalite? No. No body parts. We had a deal. What if you should be killed? Goyd asked, lowering his wine to an annoying whimper. You want our bodies? I demanded, shocked despite the fact that I had bigger problems to worry about. If you were doing organ transplants to save lives, yeah. But just so you can stick us in big pickle jars and charge admission to see the human freaks? I don't think so. I have something to sell, Eric said. I will create a schematic of my holographic technology. You can build your own emitters. This was apparently such a bonanza that God stopped wanting for several seconds. He barely managed to say, Deal! Michael rolled his eyes. You know, Guide is going to own this planet by the time he's done. Guide led us to a different level. This time, we went up. And this time, we took an elevator. Elevators? You have elevators? Morco raged. We're traipsing up and down stairs, and you have elevators? The elevators are much less scenic, Guide said. What value are memories of the inside of an elevator? We emerged several floors above the one where we'd first appeared. It was just what I needed. Narrow walkways between tall residential buildings with shops on the ground level. Escort crammed everywhere. Escort mostly of a new type. Shopper escort. My people, Rachel cried in delight. At last, I have a true homeland. They shop? I asked Guide. That's it? They shop? Someone must buy what is created in the great factories and small craftswork, Guide said. Exactly, Rachel agreed. The economy cannot function without people to buy things. Guide, you are finally making sense. Rachel said with great satisfaction. We went to an empty store at the end of a long, narrow street. The previous business had moved out, leaving nothing but empty shelves behind. Okay, this will do, I said. Now, how do we get the word to the howlers that we're here?
I have only to mention it to a member of the News, Gossip, and Speculation Guild. God said, This is quite a little lunatic asylum the Elemist wants us to save. Tobias said, Legoland meets Dr. Seuss, with a population made up of whining nutbags, no offense guide, who think shopping and gossiping are careers. Hey, don't diss my brothers and sisters of the Shopper Guild, Rachel said with mock ferocity. Okay, let's get this in gear, I said. Guide, we have the memory players? Yes, of course. Ox, you ready? Yes, Prince Jake. Don't call me Prince, and come here for a minute. I went into an empty corner with him. Axe, maybe I'm wrong, but you still seem to be chafing over that first battle. I ran away, he said simply. You came back. I ran away, he repeated harshly. You were the only one not in Morph. You and Tobias, and he was in the air, not close to that howling noise. Does it occur to you that maybe the Howler's Howl is specially designed to affect the brains of sentient creatures? I mean, the physical brain, the gray matter, or whatever color yours is? He shrugged impatiently, a gesture he'd picked up from humans. Listen, Axe, the Howlers are a biological weapon designed to kill sentient species. When they were designed, when Cryak was coming up with that howl, he'd have fine-tuned it to have an especially terrifying effect on complex, sentient brains. I had a tiger brain, and it nearly destroyed me. You had your own, very smart, very aware, very complex brain. Exactly what the howl was designed to attack. Axe didn't accept what I was saying, but he didn't dismiss it totally, either. He seemed to fidget, like he wished the conversation was over. I sighed. I'd said all I could say. Axe needed to do something to wipe away what he saw as a terrible stain. Okay, Axe. It's time to get set. But you better remember one thing. Your job is to get out of this alive. If I'm really your prince, I'll give you an order. You do not have permission to get yourself killed, no matter how heroic you think it would be. Chapter 24 It took less than an hour. Tobias, floating high above the narrow streets, saw them burst at a run from the stairs. They looked around, knowing the floor we were on, but not the building. We didn't want them having time to plan. We wanted to use their bloodlust and rage. Down the street, seeming oblivious, walked Axe. Tobias reported the scene by Thoughtspeak. He's almost there. The Howlers are sticking together. Not as cocky as they were, though. They should spy him any second now. Any second now. Then. What are they, blind? Axe is getting awfully close. The crowd is blocking their view of him. Too many escort in the way. Oh man, he's too... They see him! Axeman, run! Run! I looked at Cassie and the others. It's time. I have to do this. I blocked images of Axe from my mind. Images of him racing, dodging, weaving through the escort crowds. Images of the Howlers bounding after him. Instead, I focused on a different image. The Howler I had acquired. I formed the image in my mind, 
and I felt the changes begin. Rachel, I said, while I was still human, you know what to do. If I get out of control, can't control the morph. If I start that howl, you'll have to do it. Rachel had morphed a grizzly bear. She stood directly behind me, her two massive front paws, with claws that could flay the bark off a tree, lay on my shoulders. If I lost control of the morph, Rachel would... would do what she had to do. Quickly. Before I could hurt anyone. As backup, Marco was in Gorilla Morph. His fist, as big as my head, and powered by enough muscle to knock a hole in a wall, was cocked a foot from my face. They're on him! Tobias yelled. All six of them, like hounds after a rabbit. Man, that boy can run! Axeman, opening to your right! The howlers could not shoot, not in a crowd of escort. Rules of engagement. Nor could they use their howls, not without possibly killing escort. But if they got close enough to Axe, then would come the flechette guns, the dracon beams, and the knives. I studied my thoughts. Control. Control. The morph continued. My skin began to erupt in pustules, blisters that formed all over my body, then burst and oozed out black glue. I looked down and saw my stomach pinching, like I was being cut in two, like I was morphing an ant or some other segmented insect. Just as the pinching looked as if it would go all the way, and the top of my body would topple like a chopped tree, long, flexible threads, elastic blood veins, shot out, connecting the two halves of me, upper and lower. For a horrible moment, I could actually see the white bone of my human spine. The interlocking vertebrae melted and reformed as thick, steel gray cylinders, each able to turn on its base. Then, my center filled in, hiding the spine and the elastic veins and tendons. I breathed a sigh of relief. No one needs to see that happening to their body. I saw my hands change color, the fingers covered by black-on-red pustules, the cooling lava flesh thick and hard. I still had four fingers and a thumb. But now, from my wrist, the claws grew. Retractable, like a cat's claws. My legs creaked and groaned as bone thickened and twisted. My ears melted into my head. My eyes widened, growing larger and flatter. My senses began to change. The differences were not as severe as many morphs I'd been through, but more complete than I'd expected. I wasn't seeing just shape and color anymore. I was seeing infrared heat. I was seeing trails, like the ones your mouse cursor leaves on the computer screen. It allowed me to follow movement and direction more closely. And then, with a shock, I realized I could see through the outer layers of skin. I could see faint outlines of Marco's gorilla heart. Of course, all the better to target vital organs. The robin's egg blue and blue eyes were far beyond human eyes, beyond even hawk's eyes. They were target-acquiring eyes. Suddenly, I felt it bubble up from beneath my own consciousness. I had expected rage. I had expected out-of-control violent urges. I felt neither. Instead, I felt... Indifference. There was no howler instinct to slaughter. It wasn't anger. That wasn't how they were built. Cryak had been more subtle than that. I had expected the howler morph to be like morphing some super predator. 
but the morph this reminded me of most was the dolphin. Howlers were playful. Howlers were having fun. You can let me go, I told Rachel and Marco. Are you sure? Yeah, this thing isn't out of control. It's like... And then I felt something I had never felt before. Some strange part of the howler brain, like an extra sense. My brain had tapped into a pool of awareness, of knowledge. Rapid, rapid, dizzying flashes of memory. Horrifying images of slaughter, violence. Not just Graffin's children, but species after species, planet after planet. I was getting the full, horrific imagery that Eric had absorbed in a different way. But this was worse. This wasn't someone else's memory. This was my own. It was part of me. And through it all, the massacre of Graffin's children, the slaughter of the Mashtami, the Pawn, the Nost Navai, and yes, the Pemelites. The Howlers felt no anger. No rage. But why should they? It's a game, I said. What is? Cassie asked. She had morphed to Wolf. The Howlers. The killing. It's a game to them. They're having fun. They're enjoying it. Like when dolphins leap into the air just for the fun of it and play follow the leader. It's a game. They're destroying entire races for fun? Yes. They don't know what they're doing. Cassie, they aren't adults. The Howlers are all children. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And it is currently dark and rainy and very windy outside. I'm very cozy inside. Um, so let's get on with it. Thank you all for listening. This was the second to last episode. I was right last week. Next week will be the end of this, uh, this book. And of course, then will be the supercut and then onward into, uh, new territory. In the meantime, I have, uh, two messages once again from Willis the Orst. Um, he's sending them over on Tumblr now. Uh, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Um, first one, um, in relation to last week's episode, uh, just all caps, they kiss! And they sure do. It was a long time coming. This is what, book 20, 26 of 54, right? We're right at the midpoint, uh, right now. They finally kiss. Uh, in, in the words of, uh, Rachel, I think, about time. <laughs> Um, good for Jake and Cassie. Uh, secondly, Willis also writes in and says, When does Eric choose to die? More specifically, Jake says that he lets his human hologram age and then lets them die eventually. But, like, how does he choose when to do that? He canonically makes connections to humans during his many lives. But isn't faking your own death a form of violence? Like, he's not physically hurting anyone, but definitely is causing emotional harm. Uh, that's a great question um presumably a civilization as advanced as the pemelites would acknowledge emotional harm as a form of violence right um someone a species so enlightened that they themselves like forgot how to be violent how to wage war and that's how they got eliminated um so certainly i do think 
uh, we can assume, Eric's programming, would be uh, to avoid inflicting unnecessary emotional harm as as much as uh, physical harm. And in fact, in this book, we just saw... Um, and I've heard on uh, the subreddit that maybe the rules for Eric's pacifism are a little wonky, and it seems to uh, maybe expand or shrink as much as the plot needs. But for example, in this book, uh, he couldn't jump out the window on the fear that maybe a howler was on the other side, and that could harm that howler. Um, and so, assuming this like most extreme uh, version of Eric's programming, where uh based on context you can make uh an assumption that there's a good chance something could cause harm and he can't even take that action um i think that uh the only way he'd he'd be able to do that is he'd just have to outlive everyone right he'd have to at, at some point uh stop making connections with younger people kind of become like a recluse right um as his current generation of of friends and family age and die um until he's the last one and then he dies as you know old man old man lawson who just sits up in his attic all alone or whatever um sorry i just got distracted by the thought of like well if he did that then someone finds the body how you know someone's gonna have to take the body away but I forgot that, like, the tree have a whole, like, network, so probably another, he sends the signal, and, you know, um, the chi who's pretending to be the baker comes and says, like, oh my god, he's dead, and then the chi who's the coroner carts him off, or whatever. Um, but that's my thought. Th- those are my thoughts on how that works. If anyone has contradictory, uh, theories that they want to share, you can write in on Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Or on Gmail, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Or through my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. And um, I guess also on Twitter, at audiomorphs, which is also where you check. <laughs> um, sorry, my mouth got away from me there. I always do this like right before I eat, so I'm always like really hungry when I record these, and I think I get a little, um, a little loopy. But uh or on twitter which you should check if i'm ever late posting you guys know the spiel um my mouth my mouth mistakes aside um yeah i think that's all i have to say so thank you all for listening and once again i will see you all next week my name is daniel and i believe one day the andalites will come until then we fight we fight